Excuse me. You're in my camera shot. Oh, are you kidding me? Thank you. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Anyone at home want to do play-by-play for this? Time of the ball. Not even enough time for me to get my dress shoes on. Your winner. And still. Oh, boy. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to October of 1996 of Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WCW show, looking at Halloween Havoc. Volume 2 takes you to WWF and In Your House, Buried Alive. We're here for Volume Number 3 in ECW. I'm being joined first by Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, good evening. Evening, Bob. I said hello and good evening at the same time. And Chris Lacey. How do uh, we, you will be pleased to know that we have a slightly more organised show this time. As a quick, we are going to be reviewing two shows rather than one. Uh, Chris, we will start by cracking on with some headlines. We start with news of a new ECW heavyweight champion. So, at the Ultimate Jeopardy pay-per-view or show, we have a new champion in The Sandman, beating Stevie Richards for the title belt as will be discussed why later. Next up, new television deal. So, as of the 1st of November, they are going on to Network One, which shows um, that will be showing the ECW product in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Ohio. Um, they're getting the Friday at midnight slot, which obviously for the product probably the good time for it and obviously with it being in a new area means new markets for them to go and do live shows in and as it seems to be a zero sum game every month for ECW TV just as they get one TV deal they lose another (laughs) yeah um, the Prime Sports West network are going to be pulling ECW Um, basically it's their broadcaster in California uh, the reason for this is Fox is buying them out, and Fox basically wants to sort out their own Fox Sports and get rid of all the affiliated ones that they're overtaking. The lovely um, conglomerates of American TV. Of course, of course. Uh, a break for the former chap. So, as mentioned earlier, obviously Stevie Richards was the person that lost Raven's belt. The reason for this is that Raven hasn't been seen this month. Um, Reports are that he has taken his absence for personal problems. Um, He has not been seen this month, but in storyline on TV, he was um, basically left the country with Sandman's kid, and that was why he hasn't been on TV. A return date for Pitbull number one. So, Pitbull number one has been told that he should be back in the ring this coming January. Obviously, we will mention something that goes on with him at a show this month, that he was in a halo and got thrown around. This was a prop one, so, you know, he clearly is ready to come back into the ring sooner. 
to be clear, it was the same one. It was just being worn as a prop. It wasn't necessarily anymore. It wasn't like a fake Halo. That would have yeah. been a hell of an investment. <laughs> ECW's prop budget, which stretches to pies, copious amounts of tables, and neck halos. That would be quite excessive. They've probably just got one lying around anyway. <laughs> generally need one most of these shows, yeah. Uh, where are we next? Sabu and Rob Van Dam sign deals with All Japan. So, RVD and Sabu have agreed deals with All Japan to be in the tag team tournament starting in the Kirken Hall in November. There is no idea on whether they will both not be doing ECW dates at the same time, but it is known that Sabu has asked to arrive late for the tournament to do the November to Remember show. Whether the same is for RVD, we are not clear at the moment. And as we all know, the last time Sabu tried to combine a Japan and an ECW date on the same loop, that went swimmingly well, as I'm sure <laughs> yeah. this one will do as well. It was perfection. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Or something like that. Uh, Tuco Scorpio is en route to Connecticut. Yes, that is true. Scorpio has signed a deal with the WWF and his final dates for ECW will be November to Remember. And probably the biggest story of the month, uh, one that didn't air uh, on TV, nor did it even air on the tapes we were able to get on the show. Um, but on October the 26th at the uh, ECW event, uh, High Incident, was that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Uh, there was a crucifixion. Yes, so this was the time when Raven came back for the month and he crucified the Sandman. Um, basically, there was a special guest in the, in the building that night, an Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle, who took mass offence to this being a religious man himself and uh, basically freaked out and left the building. Raven was forced to come out at the interval and apologise for any offence the event caused. As we, as Bob mentioned, this obviously wasn't seen on TV. There is no footage of it for us to see, and I would probably imagine we won't see it with just, the fact of. I'm just trying to imagine that we've been doing ECW for three years, and this is the thing they apologise for. Like, there's a lot of good things about ECW, but there's a lot of things that aren't so good. Like, where's my, where's my apology for Taz and Paul Valens? Where's my apology for that? You're not allowed one. Not allowed one. Kieran, anything on any of that? I was going to say, it's fun. As Kurt, Angle, Kurt Angle obviously didn't look at what he was coming into, because surely he would have found offence with all the stuff they do to women on it. Well, I, I get the feeling. I'm not sure Kurt Angle really knew what he was watching. We'll come to that in a bit, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was weird. Like they called him a big pro wrestling fan, but when he was on commentary, it didn't seem like one. Although maybe they were trying, maybe See, they I, tried to tell him, "Well, I, this I, is a real wrestling match." And I I, took that, I'll get when we get to the match. I'll go into it a bit more. But I, I thought that Angle was sort of faking that ignorance, but maybe he wasn't. Then. Either or, either or, I don't know. Yeah. Weird old month. Anyway, as I say, we're a bit more organised this month. 
Um, we start with the first episode of TV, and of course, Sod's Law. End of last month's show. I say we've got a we've got a Taz Johnny Smith match. I don't know whether it's going to appear next month. Shall review it now. The first thing on the first episode of Hardcore TV in October, it the first clip is Taz walking out, and like bloody hell, Sod's Law. It's the first thing up. So the first thing from that show is Taz versus Johnny Smith. We reviewed that last month. We then get camcorder footage from In Your House from last month, which is shot clearly, and we'll discuss it in a minute, they claim it is ECW fan cam footage, it's basically just a video which they put the kind of camcorder effects around the outside, and they try to say, this is our fan cam footage, despite the fact it's clearly not, but they show the highlights from In Your House on the show, we'll come to that in a minute. We get a promo from Stevie Rock and Meany Grunge, who thanked Eric Bischoff for inspiring them with Fake Sting, and the show finished with highlights of the Eliminators and Brian Lee versus Gordy Williams and Dreamer match from last month. We finished a promo with uh, we finished with a promo from Shane Douglas in the locker room of his gym or Pitbull's gym, can't remember which one. And it finishes with Douglas walking naked to have a shower. Um, the thing I took of note, as I say, was this use of footage from uh, in your house. Now I didn't, you know, I think it was an interesting idea, and I think it's the first sign, and it's been mentioned in the the Observer this month. The angle isn't over. We don't really know where it's going yet. It hasn't really played out at all on WC- WWF television, but it has played out a little bit on uh, on ECW TV as well. Uh, but I thought, for, for an audience that they're trying to outsmart, I thought just taking footage from In Your House and presenting it like it had been taped by ECW fan cam, despite the fact the person holding the camera was clearly inside the guardrail. Chris, I thought that was a bit too much. Bit trying to be a bit too clever. Yeah, it it's the sort of level of thing that can be seen through by anyone who obviously if you're a ECW fan, you're gonna be a hardcore fan. You're gonna see through this. Um I think they they could have quite easily just said this is the footage that we got from them and not tried to do it as fan cam. Um it's it's good that they've shown it, but they've not really done anything with it other than keep mentioning it as the world's most famous bingo hall. Um, I would imagine that they're probably going to do something further down the line. Obviously, as it said in the Observer this month, that you know it definitely isn't done just yet. But what it is going to be, we don't know. I suppose at this point, it's still just wait and see. Kieran. Yeah, there's two two things. It's basically just seems all like a bit of like a one way street at the minute. So it's kind of like something of nothing. And also, why couldn't they have just like said, well, this is footage that somebody like an insider stole or an insider leaked to us instead of trying to do this, which comes off a bit more. Um, don't know, it comes off a bit hokey. Like I said, yeah. a bit too try, a bit too try hard. There's, there's, if they'd have thought about it a bit more, there was. Plenty of other creative ways of saying how you got the footage. You don't have to say, you know, we filmed it. It's, it's, it's like we're going to get a, a, a thing later in the month with Laurie Furrington, which is an interview, quote unquote, via satellite, which just clearly isn't true. Like, it's like, why, why even, why even try it? Like, why even say it? I thought the best thing to do would have been WWF clearly sent them the footage, which is fair enough. Why not put the footage into a television and then film it on the TV? So yeah, it grind like, it up a bit. 
Yeah. Well, they're not doing that. Just get get the camera in front of the television and basically record the footage through the TV. So it looks like they've just ripped it from a you know from a replay or something like that. I thought yeah. that would have been a nice way out of it. Sometimes they're too clever. Sometimes they're not clever enough. In this case, I'd probably suggest it was the latter actually. Um, but it's weird. Like they have some attention to detail in some places that in others they really don't, and it's a really odd mix. Sometimes they're really good, but this they just about miss. Anyway, the first episode of the month. We will move on to ECW Ultimate Japanese. Chris, do you have the results for us? So, Luis Piccoli defeated Doug Furness. Mikey Whitbreck defeated JT Smith. Taz defeated Johnny Smith in a submissions match. The Eliminators defeated the Samoan Gangster Party. The Gangsters... And Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie ended in a no contest. The Gangsters defeated the Eliminators to retain the ECW World Tag Team titles. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Terry Gordy. Devon Dudley beat, bo- defeated Bubba Ray Dudley. Shane Douglas defeated Pitbull 2 to, in a no contest for the ECW t- World Television title. And the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer defeated Brian Lee and Stevie Richards, who was a replacement for Raven, for the World Heavyweight Championship in the Ultimate Jeopardy match. As is the case with these ECW shows, we should say that what actually happened result-wise isn't always reflected in our taping, uh, in the tape that we get. Um, so some matches may appear out of order in our review. We should just preface it with that. Kira, what do you think of this show? Um, I suppose it's kind of like your average... ECW show that I've come to expect There's, there was some good stuff and there was some other stuff that you kind of just get used to that just seem to keep dragging out like we'll get to the that flipping whistle later on um, but overall I thought it was pretty decent in fact the both shows we're going to cover I thought pretty decent Chris this had a couple of throwaway things but when it was good, it was really, really fucking good. So it's one of those, if you can get hold of the copy of the tape, then definitely watch this. Because it is, it has some of ECW at its best. In yeah. It. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would agree with that. This was two hours that went by quite quickly. Um, the stuff that wasn't great didn't feel like it dragged. And then two really, really memorable matches. Um, Chris, Douglas and Pitbull 2 and the, the, the title match were the last two matches on the card. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. They were the last two matches on the tape we saw as well. The final two matches, for, for different reasons, were both really, really good. Um, and we're going to come to why in a bit. Um, because we're covering both shows, we're going to kind of highlight certain matches and then kind of speed through other bits or you know a little bit um because we otherwise be here about three hours um so yeah basically we've got about three four matches on this show and then about four or five from the second one that we're gonna kind of pull out for a, a full-on play-by-play experience but i will run you through the rest and we will comment on on some little bits as we get them uh we start with lewis Piccoli versus doug furnace uh we get some loud fuck him up louis fuck him up chants furnace it's a lovely frankensteiner basically beats the piss out of him Goes for a three-point stance, charges at him, and without skipping a beat, Spicoli stands up, catches him, hits the death rally driver, and wins the match. Kieran, I nearly leapt out of my seat at that finish. That was excellent. It was it, oh, it's so good. Like I said, 
I think we hinted at it last month about how pleasantly, well, I was pleasantly surprised with people like Furnace, Crawford, Spicoli. These people seem to have come out of nowhere. And we sort of said we'd love to see some of these guys be interchanged with each other, and it's exactly what we got, and it's exactly what I expected. This is one of those classic, you know, sort of heel beats the piss out of the baby face, and then the baby face turns around, and with that finish, it was just what a, a great short match to start, perfect start. Chris? Yeah, it, you, what can you say? It's five minutes. It's, you see Furnace throw big boy moves around, which, as anyone knows me, loving like the Steiners and stuff, I love watching people getting thrown around and beating the piss out of. And then Louis hits an amazingly start sharp DVD just straight away. Thank you very much. Done. Yes, please. More of the same. Yeah, yeah really good. More, just, just. More, more. Uh, so it was kind of in many ways like it, it wasn't just the fact it was such a smooth finish. It, it caught us by surprise. It was um, instant. Yeah, and I kind of swore a few times while I watched it. I was kind of that excited, and the crowd popped too. Um, you know, fun opener. You get a hot crowd that want to cheer something. They got something to cheer. Next up, bad crew: Little Guido, JT Smith, and Dangerous Devon Storm beat the piss out of Mikey, Mikey Whitbreck. That sets up Smith against Mikey. Mikey recovers, hits a flying splash to Guido and Storm before the four men contrive to be in the same place. Smith goes for a baseball slide. Mikey moves, and Smith takes them all out. In the conclusion, uh, conclusion. In the confusion, Mikey goes to the top and hits a big splash onto the pile. Smith hits a lovely Sicilian splash. Smith gets a chair from the crowd. Mikey hits a baseball slide and the chair leathers Smith in the face. Some distractions enables Bad Crew to beat up Mikey again. Mikey rallies against them. Super kick Storm who crotches Smith on the top after he's already recovering from one. Mikey hits the Frankie Mikey off the top and wins the match. Chris, anything to say on this at all? It's a typical ECW comedy match, really. You know, there was some slapstick moments with the heels of massive miscommunication. You know, it's it's a sort of feel good match for the for the crowd. Kieran, yeah, similar sort of thing to Chris. I think Mike is that guy. He's had sort of his time at the, you know, where he's dallying about with the title, and I think he's just that perfect guy to put sort of like second you know, third on to keep the momentum going after a really good opener. So it was nothing amazing, but it just kept the crowd interested, which I think is, it's more than admirable. Yes, Mikey just strikes me as a guy that I think could perpetually be an ECW babyface in that, that the crowd just like him. Um, not a bad role for him. And I think uh, I think it was Dave Meltzer that, or, or, or a port in, in, in one of the Observer on the Torch that said that Mikey quite quietly has become quite a good wrestler. Um, almost without us noticing in the last year or so, certainly since he kind of moved away from the title picture. Anyway, we move on to our first quote-unquote feature match of the evening. It's Jolly Smith versus Taz with Bill Alfonso and his fucking whistle in the submission match. Yes, that, is, that is in my notes as that list. That's as it's, uh, as it's down. Fans start by chanting Fonzie swallows. Taz hits a nice fireman carry. Smith responds with one of his own. Alfonso says he can do Styles' job. He then does a brief stint of play-by-play to the camera, which is really good. That fucking whistle. Taz wants to do some amateur wrestling. Taz escapes and they reset. Taz goes to the back and Smith escapes quickly. Taz asks Smith to reset on the mat again, which he does, but Taz just kicks him in the arm and we go to the outside. 
Taz fires Smith off of opposite turnbuckles. Joey Styles then calls a bow and, arrow, bow and arrow wrongly, boxing a choke of sorts, but Smith eventually gets to the ropes. Smith blocks a hip toss and locks in an armbar. Alfonso is so fucking good. Taz is a takedown, laced up Smith's legs and bridges into a back submission. That looked great. Smith comes off of the ropes and takes Taz down with an arm lock. Taz runs at Smith into a power slam and hits a top rope drop kick and a clothesline to send Taz down. He goes to the top, goes to a splash of sorts, but Taz gets his knees up. Taz hits a lovely wheelbarrow German super. Taz's mission, and that will do that. Taz gets on the mic after the match, asks who will stop the path of rage, and Alfonso says it over and over again. Kieran? Again, the continuation of last month, it's good to see ECW sticking with the storylines, and Taz is, you know, he showed Johnny Smith respect last month. Um, I think the stipulation in particular was something that intrigued me in this match. It was kind of perfect for where it was going to go. Some great stuff from Taz. Some more good stuff from Johnny Smith. Hope that guy sticks around. But Alfonso, again, is the star. The, the, the play-by-play stuff just had me in stitches. It, it, it's in, interspersed with that, like you said, Bob, that fucking whistle. He's just he's just gold, that guy. It's like, Chris, I can't oh, sorry, stand... Chris. No, I, I, I was just going to say, I just can't stand him, but I can't imagine him not there now. Uh, Chris, Alfonso might win... Best non-wrestling act of the year again, Martin. He, he's I don't good. know. It's either him or his whistle. Oh, that's true. But, <laughs> but definitely the whistle's oh, definitely oh, the worst heel of the year. Yeah. Inanimate object of the year. Yeah. But yeah, this this is a great match. Just amateur wrestling, technical wrestling, power moves. You know, it is everything that you want to see from these sort of two and especially because you know the fact it was a submission match the fact it it was something different to what we have been seeing you know and that Taz did get desperate in a way to say that you know he then kicked him because he got beat by Smith twice on the ground I like that sorry Chris I like the fact that obviously that then sort of made Taz go, all right, I'm going to give you a kick. Yeah, and that's what I like. Took yeah. advantage. It's great. And Fonzie, just just Fonzie. <laughs> you know, he, he annoys the piss out of me, and I hate him, but I love him in, in equal measure. How important is Bill Alfonso to this act? I mean, Dude. like, you know, I mean... He... If you book Taz like this on his own, I've got a feeling he'd be a big baby face by now. Um, well, at least it'd be boring by now because it'd be look, he's the the wrestler guy, and he, I think, having Fonzie with him means that when he does out wrestle someone or chokes them out. It's not a yay he won. It's a oh fuck now Fonzie's shouting more. I mean, not uh, wishing to not wishing to blow smoke up his ass too much, but I th- I think he's on a par with somebody like uh, Bobby Heenan, in my eyes. I think he's that I think he's that good. He gets absolutely nuclear heat by just blowing a whistle. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people, if they examine that comparison, might just say, "Well, it is only an ECW." But I mean, in many ways, it's harder. Like in, in many ways, Obviously. like if, if if Heenan was in ECW, like yeah, the fans would respect him too much, you know. Like if, this is a this is a crowd that will respect people for their for their heel work, and we're going to talk about Shane Douglas later on. 
Um, it's one of those things. It's the age-old thing that they, they they often say that the the, the quote-unquote smart fans are actually the easiest one to to do over because they're the one that, that are convinced they know it all. Um, but yeah, Alfonso is great. I mean, he's so on point that act hasn't remotely got old. He's still a dick, still a dick. Um, and it's it's entertaining to watch, but not in a way that I respect. Like that's and, a really weird dynamic. And to think only. Four years earlier, he was a WCW ref. Bloody hell. Unreal. Bloody hell. What, 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 what will Nick, Nick Patrick be in 2000 in ECW? <laughs> or, uh, or, 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 uh, or Randy Anderson in uh, ECW in 2000, managing the now heel Mikey Whitwreck. We can only but wonder. We move on. Next up is Eliminators versus the Samoan Gangster Party. The Samoans mock the gangsters across arm X signal, but they get distracted and the Eliminators nail the total elimination for the win. We hear the familiar Here Comes the Hot Stepper theme, but of course it's not the public enemy. It's the public enemy of Stevie Rock and Meanie Grunge. Oh, Oh, you the man. Oh, you the man. Oh, no, no. But you know what, Meanie? We promised all these people out here a surprise tonight. And that surprise isn't here. But you know what, Rocco? Surprise for everybody in the ECW arena. I'm sober. Surprise! We get some interaction between, well, we've got Razor and Diesel on Raw. We've got Rock and Grunge on ECW, I suppose. Meanie Grunge's impression briefly sounds excellent. He then says he's got a surprise for everyone. He's sober, 
Surprise! Mead does the grunge dance and has to blow a while while he gets his breath back. Richard says this isn't the public enemy because Meady is nowhere near as fat as Johnny Grunge. He then tells the gangsters to come out because they're going to kick their ass. Out come the gangsters with a bin full of weapons. To say the match broke down would imply that it was ever up. This was a brawl right from the very start. Richard does the running bulldogs and New Jack deposit him in on the top rope. Here come the eliminators. Mustafa takes total elimination, as does the ref and Blue Meanie and New Jack. Now, we cut to a brief excerpt from the Pro Wrestling Torture for the next bit of this, because this show didn't air on television. Paulie Dangerously and Todd Corden come out. The crowd chanted, Fuck McMahon. Paulie ripped on Eric Bischoff, then talked about the history of ECW and how Eddie Gilbert died, and then Todd Gordon told him he could help run the show. He said firing Sabu from ECW is the hardest thing he ever did. He said he would never lie like Vince and Eric would. He said he's mad because they didn't deliver the surprise. He said over the week they had contacted the Rock and Roll Express, but they never got back to him. He said that was going to be the surprise. Two days ago, he got a phone call from Raven. Raven said he was taking a two-week leave of absence. He said they respect his privacy, but added that he's not going to the WWF or WCW. He said the match tonight is still on with the stipulations intact. ECW title will be on the line with Stevie Richards replacing Raven. We come back to the tape. Cut later in the evening the Eliminators versus the Gangsters. This time Mustafa has a ladder along with New Jack, New Jack having a bin full of stuff. Each Eliminators hits the diamond cutter and mocks the Gangsters' X signal. The Gangsters grab the ladder and just run over the Eliminators. This is quite a plodding brawl. That was until New Jack just smashed a crutch over Saturn's back. That snapped like a twig. We end up in the crowd, which leads to a load of ECW chants. Cronus grabs the bin, goes to pro- pose on the second rope and drops the bin and falls on his ass. That gets a big, you fuck up chant. He regains his commo- composure and just shouts, you fucked up, back to the fans. We cut forward. New Jack is bladed by this point. Mustafa hits a power slam. New Jack hits a splash from the top with a chair, and that's enough for the win. Well, except the fact Cronus's left shoulder was about halfway towards the sky, but still, we are where we are. We get a post-match beatdown and a total elimination. Safe to say, those two aren't. These two aren't done. The eliminators put a table across the top turnbuckle. It's actually surprisingly nothing as Cronus hits a splash off of it. Well, was. Then Saturn puts a six-foot ladder on top of the table. I shit you not. He climbs about three-quarters way up the ladder and then jumps off with some form of leg drop, um, elbow drop combination on New Jack. He then does it again with a splash. Kieran, take us through any or all of this. Oh, like I said, the, uh, I've got similar notes, Bob. It just just drags on. The gangsters like really... I really want the, I really want to like the gangsters because I like the characters and I like how quote unquote real they are, like promo wise and star wise, but everything just always ends up in like you said, like a plodding brawl and I almost wish the ending, obviously with the result the way it is it couldn't have happened, but why couldn't that spot have been the end of the match instead of like the after stuff? And maybe it would have salvaged something, otherwise I just didn't didn't really like this at all. I think this was probably Probably the lowest point on the show for me, maybe. Chris? It, as Kieran was saying, it's pretty much, you know, standard gangsters fare. Um, whenever the gangsters come out, you pretty much know what you're going to get. You know, nothing changes from, from the letter of, oh, look, it's weapons. They walk around, they hit each other with them. There'll be a jump off the top rope. But, the thing that we do have to 
go on about this is what the fuck is Saturn doing? Yeah. Climbing, putting a ladder on a table on a top rope and diving off it. He my clearly question, has no fear. My question to you two is after we fin- finished talking this match, was, do you think that that was an audible? I, I, you think everything's an audible? I've had you on the show too long. <laughs> Everything that remotely surprised you is automatically an audible. It's because I just can't believe that that's a, somebody goes, I know, I know what spot we should do, lads. Let's do this. And they'll go, yeah, all right, Perry, let's do that. I've just got visions of him 15 minutes into the match telling Cronus, well, you know, yeah, we had an ordinary finish plan where we just like dumped someone through a table. Actually, put a table up there, put a ladder on top and I'll be up there. I've got a feeling they planned that one. Oh, right. um, yeah, Kieran, you can you can generally hold off on the hmm, yeah, but it's prob- <laughs> chances are if it happened, it was probably meant to happen. Is the long story short? Um, yeah, it was good. Like I, uh, I this this gangsters eliminated feud has been going so long. I actually quite like it. Um, just in terms of like you know, it just never seems to end in a way that can be quite enjoyable. Um, it feels like both two, both both teams genuinely dislike each other, which is obviously the goal. And their matches are genuinely just generally just about entertaining enough to get by. I think we've got to end it at some point. I suspect next month might be the time to do it. Um, but yeah, all in all, interesting stuff. Nothing much from from anything beforehand. And we, we, we speak about Dangerously and Todd Gordon coming out. They've done that before. That's kind of their mo to a point is announcing when people aren't there. Um, more power to them, I suppose. Um, you know, it's as I say, it's it, it's one way when we talk about this level of fandom is that sometimes the most honest explanation is the best one. Fair enough. Anyway. Last month, I suggested, completely out of the blue, that Bam Bam Bigelow might be on the November to Remember show. And then who should rock up on this show but Bam Bam Bigelow, facing, of all people, Terry Bam Bam Gorey. That was next up. Uh, Joey Styles seemed absolutely desperate to point out Bigelow had dropped some weight. He mentioned it about four or five times. Uh, Bigelow no-sells a back suplex and hits a drop kick and misses a baseball slide to the outside. Perplexingly, two minutes later, Gordy does the exact same sequence on Bam Bam before Bam Bam just smashes him with a chair. Bigelow hits Simone drop, but this match is really flat. Bigelow, in a first that I've seen, basically just gets shoved face first through a table. As the ref checks on Bam Bam, the eliminators run out and do a total elimination on Gordy. Bam Bam gets up, hits the top right headbutt, and that will do that. We'll come back to that in a minute. I take cuts to Devon versus Bubba Ray Dudley. Devon hits three horrid-looking chair shots to the head. The feed cuts to Bubba, hitting a plancher on the outside that looked very nice. Another jump cut, Bubba goes for a powerbomb. Uh, Devon slips off uh, off it, hitting a running chair shot. At least Bubba got his hands up on this run. And Devon, Devon wins. More cuts after the match, and we end with Big Dick Dudley hitting a lovely moonsault on Axel Rotten. Joey Styles calls it the Big Dick Dudley salt. Chris, thoughts on either of these two matches? Um, Bam Bam versus Bam Bam was saved by the Eliminators coming out and causing chaos. It it was a plodding match that was going nowhere, which we it didn't need. Surprisingly mean. bad. Like it, there aren't many matches I watch that I'm surprised at how bad they were in this project. There's a lot of matches that are bad, but you can't expect to see them coming. Between two guys that have been around the block, I would have expected a lot more than this. Yeah, it it wasn't good and could be quite easily missed. As it for Devon versus Bubba, obviously with the 
viewing that we got on the tape, we don't see enough of it to really know much with it. But I'm quite hoping that that's the end of the Dudley versus Dudley thing because I'm not really feeling it. And I think it's actually hurt Bubba because Bubba isn't coming across with the the comedy chops that made him the person that we loved when he first turned up. Kieran? Yeah, similar to Chris, that the, the Bam Bam versus Bam Bam match was just crap, really. There was nothing really of note. It felt really laboured. Both guys got their wrestling in treacle or something. I was quite surprised with Bigelow. I was actually going to mention, is this a one-off? Was this dick booked like a special attraction type thing? or? I almost feel like he was just booked because he was in the area. I mean, like they didn't really promote it before or after on TV. It didn't air on television. Um, I haven't heard anything about him doing anything since. Um, so, so, yeah, it kind of just, A, it was not very good, and B, it just didn't make sense because... There was no sort of build-up within from Joey Styles. Within it was, it was just sort of nice to see Bigelow there, and that was about it. And he looks like he'd been on the slim fast. And then the uh, yeah the, the the Bubba Ray thing. It's like Chris says, it's just not really working. Where a few between families should be really heated. And there should be something there. You know, you could have Bubba Ray just really going overboard and winding Devon up. And like Chris said, bringing back the comedy part of it but it just doesn't seem to be working um, and God I don't need to be seeing chair shots like that again, I really don't Yikes, uh, yeah nothing more to add, the, the, the Bam Bam match just weren't very good and we didn't see enough of the Dudley match to, to really comment but yeah um, those chair shots aren't all that fun to watch anyway we move on to the final two matches we have a Full play-by-play suite of information for both of these. Uh, first up, it's Pitbull 2 versus Shane Douglas. Pitbull puts in a pair of clotheslines and leathers Douglas with a belt. Francine distracts Pitbull after a pin, enabling Douglas to hit, hit him with a belt shot. Pitbull 1 is at ringside with his halo on. We get a huge She's a Whore chant. Pitbull picks up Douglas in a gorilla press and basically drops Shane into a tombstone pile driver. That looked really nice. The crowd, of course, responded with she's got herpes, but, you know, each his own. Pitbull hits an apron choke slam, throwing Douglas into the ring. Two count. Fans chant, break his neck. A long period with Shane being beaten down by Pitbull until Douglas hits a neck breaker and then a pile driver. He follows that with a lovely storing suplex and gives the crowd what for. Pitbull 2 rallies out of a camel clutch, basically deadlifting Douglas and driving him into the turnbuckle. A running shoulder block only meets the steel of the ring post. We end up in the second ring, uh, second ring, on the second rope, it's not WCW yet. We end up on the second rope, the ref tries to break up a 10 punch, but I think Douglas may have punched him. Pitbull 2 could have also done that. Anyway, this ends with another run in for the Eliminators, who hit a total elimination on Pitbull 2. Franchise hits an elbow from the second rope, and Pitbull kicks out. My, uh, my, my notes there were live, so I thought that was ending when it did. Uh, Pitbull hits a fall away slam. We see Francine pull something from her suit, if you want to call it that. She throws it to Douglas. Pitbull 2 puts her in the ring and sets her for a power slam, and he hits it. Fans, of course, respond by chanting ECW. They seem to want to claim ref distraction, but he turns round immediately after Douglas throws powder into Pitbull's eyes. Blinded, Pitbull responds to the belly-to-belly suplex on the ref. Douglas wraps the chain around Pitbull's neck before throwing him using a sort of neck breaker. 
Douglas goes for a full Nelson submission. Pitbull one gets on the apron. Douglas hits a DDT on number two. Number one gets in the ring. Douglas grabs the halo. Joey Styles makes a really weird noise. And then all hell breaks loose as Douglas dumps Pitbull one on the mat. The locker room empties. A couple of fans genuinely jump the guardrail. And fair fucks to ECW's uh, security team who stopped them pretty fucking quickly. But we talk about the quote-unquote marks being the easiest to work. There are a couple of people genuinely very fucking pissed off while this angle was going on. Uh, they dragged Douglas away basically for his own safety. An ECW fan count follows him to the back. With a ring full of people, Joel Gertner, the hero that he is, tries to announce Douglas as still the ECW title, TV title holder. But Todd Gordon levels him with a right hand, which gets a massive pop. We cut back to the fan cam and Douglas speeds off in a car. They stretch off Pitbull 1. Gertner grabs the mic again and this time Heyman levels him and the crowd pops big for that. Um, Kieran, this is... I, I'm struggling. Well, struggling. There are other, there's certainly other ECW angles that are as memorable, but I'm struggling to remember the last one as memorable as this, unless this. it was in 94. I was just, just going to say, Bob, you might need to breathe after reading that out because... I, I literally don't know where to start with this. It's got to be one of the best feuds, best stories. You're just not expecting it though, because it's just, it's, you know, it is just the Pitbull tag team. You've got Douglas there who is just, like I said, they've got Douglas and Alfonso in the same fed. It's just, it's just licensed to print money. Douglas is so smooth in the ring. The way he jacks his jaw with the, the crowd is so good. Um, the way Francine gets heat, cheesing on it, then the whole locker room's getting in on. Like you said, even the crowd—it's—it's it's that good. The crowd are jumping the guardrail. Heyman's involved. Todd Gordon's involved. Gertner's in. I just amazing, brilliant match, brilliant story, and just yeah, fantastic. Chris, right. Obviously, earlier on in the show, we've had. Taz doing real wrestling and we've seen wrestling matches Pitbull and Douglas is never going to be that level of wrestling match but what these two do well is it's a brawl and it's a blood feud and they fight like they really want to fucking hurt each other and that's something that these two do so well Um, all four of the of the people involved in this have so much character and work so well together. Cause I know we don't mention her a lot, but Fran, Francine, Francine really is important to this story. She re, and the she way is, that she, she is, plays but, her part. Sorry, Chris, but am I the only one, and maybe it's part of the story, but am I the only one to think that her and Douglas have got no on screen chemistry whatsoever? Oh, maybe that's, Maybe that's the point, but that that comes across quite evidently. Yeah, they they don't really sort of work off each other really well. But the fact of, I think she sees him as his meal ticket. I think that's the way mm. I read it. I yeah, it could be she's... right. It could be right. But obviously, oh, been... go on, Chris. Go on. Sorry. Uh, obviously, with that, she jumped shark because he's the one with the bell. Mm. You know. She'll quite happily just dump anyone if she thinks that she's going to get rich or more famous by somebody else. And that's what's so good about her. She just has that sort of 
spoiled girl sort of aura about her that just makes you want to hate her. And obviously, as the, we hear the crowd every time she's out there, they are fucking ferocious on her. Um, I loved the fact that obviously as a running thing for this whole show, so why not in this match the Eliminators come in and have a little sort of go, but it's not, it's not massive in it. It sort of it helps and it gives adv- Douglas an advantage, but it's not like the be all and end all and it sort of causes chaos. And then obviously we have the finish of this, where obviously unless you've been reading the dirt sheets and know that he's actually okay, you still think that he's got the broken neck and Shane is throwing him around by the halo, that this man now becomes the most hated person in the state of Pennsylvania. You know... He he will get killed. He would get lynched by that crowd, and he nearly they did. Rapid <laughs> for him. He nearly did. That, he's, he's so you watch, good. You watch that footage back. The angle happens, and 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 clear like that. There was clearly an exit strategy for all this, but the angle happens, and about three people jump the guardrail. And and ECW security were right on it. Fair fair enough. Kieran, I'll come to you on this match, right? Haven't I? Yeah. Yeah, I have right. As you say, the thing with this is it clearly shows that ECW can do booking on the fly because obviously it was a freak injury that caused the broken neck to pitbull and then they've gone, let's build on it and they've made this, which I think to me, I've seen a bit of obviously WWF this year. I haven't really been watching WCW, but this has been the feud of the year. Yeah, it'd be right up there, wouldn't it? Um, I had one slight issue with this very, very minor, which was I thought it was a bit weird that Pitbull won just voluntarily climbed into the ring. Um, I, I felt like it might have been slightly more effective and, and, you know, so maybe slightly less clunky had like Douglas had put Pitbull 2 out in the full Nelson and then started George Jacking with Pitbull 1 and kind of goaded him into the ring. If that yeah. a little bit weird that he kind of volunteered himself to step into the ring. He seemed to be a bit awkward, just stood on the apron, didn't he, at one point? It just yeah. seemed to be like he was waiting. But, I mean, that's, yeah. that's nitpicking, like you said. Yeah, it was a little bit clunky. But this, the, this <laughs> the match is really good. Let's be clear, right? We, we can yeah. we can forget the the post match angle. We're going to talk about end of year awards, and I'm sure people are going to expect a big long list of Rey Mysterio matches in our best match of the year, which we might to an extent because there's been some really good ones. But it's like you compare Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko four or five times this year in front of crowds that don't really know how to appreciate that kind of stuff. You compare that to this. There's no real comparison. This no. is so much better. It's just, this is why this is why you watch the pro wrestling, Bob. You want the yeah. yes, you want a brilliant wrestling match, but the story is everything. But this was a brilliant wrestling match, like yeah. in, in the sense that the crowd were all over it. Like you know, tell me, oh, Mysterio Malenko's you know fun to watch. Well, maybe it was, but like eighty percent of the people don't know who they are. Like this is this is a pro. This is this is you said this is why you watch the. The match was really good. The crowd are all over Douglas. Douglas, as mm. I said last month, Douglas came in at the beginning of the year as, to an extent, ECW's hero, or his other anti-hero. And his turn over the course of the last six months has been so good. 
Um, and you know, most most Douglas Pro promos are him shooting, but he does such a good job. And with this post-match angle, as I say, I, they clearly knew something was going to happen because the angle happens, the security are right in position, and then the locker room just empties the fuck out. And they they, they didn't screw around. They just got Douglas out of there. And, and, and that whole thing looked to be a shoot. They got him out of the ring, on the R-way, out the back, through the back door, into a car, and out of there. Like, they didn't mess around. I'm, I'm assuming that was all legit. It's possible the car thing was shot and they just stowed him backstage. But uh, equally, given the reaction of the crowd, it wouldn't surprise us. You said, actually, let's get you out of there. Um, that was really excellent. And then we get this. Chris, we talk about Bill Alfonso being a right twat. Um... <laughs> Joel Gertner's getting close, isn't he? This was, oh, there's another one on the next show. This was really, really good. It is, there's something about him that... It's smugness, isn't it? Yeah, it's, he's, he's it's, just he's just a smug motherfucker. That's the real it's thing. The, it's the bow tie without a shirt that winds me up. You know, it, you just want to punch him in the face. His chubby, yeah. His chubby face. But... Yeah, the fact that he he just like he he doesn't seem to see what he's doing wrong as well. <laughs> that's that's the thing. He has that sort of I would say naive charm, but more <laughs> a naive re- retardedness that <laughs> he doesn't get the the severity of what has just happened. It's okay. I'm just going to do this, and it's just fucking heat magnet. I think if he, if he carries this on next year, we may have a competition between two in ECW for the biggest cunt of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't think I can blank the C words there. I think that stays. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, cunt is a good way of putting it. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's like, Karen Gorg, I've actually, I've lost the words actually for once, Karen. What, Joel Gertner? It's just, uh... If he carries on the way he's going, it's to have people like have to, just a ring announcer being able to get heat like this. I, I just don't know how they. I don't know how they do. I, do, I, I generally they, they think know that they know their audience really. Yeah, well. I, but so I, 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 I get the feeling that this is that it's not too far from the, who the real Joel Gertner is. Just kind of a smug twat who's also naive at the same time, which is even more annoying. So his smugness is born out of ignorance and naivety, so I don't think he's even aware he's being smug, it's even worse. And like I said, the bow tie without a shirt is just, he just looks like his mum has dressed him. Yeah, uh, that, that, there's more of the Joel Gurton to come later in the month, also involved in Pitbull number two. But yeah, I, I like, this This in so many ways is a phenomenal match. Um, and, you know, if we're going to call this, yeah. The, the, the post-match angle is part of the match, and it is phenomenal. Because obviously this, as you were saying, with um, obviously the difference between this and the sort of Mysterio match, it it's these sort of matches that prove that the crowd reaction and the crowd buying into it can add extra to a match. Whereas obviously Ray and, Ray and Malenko will be a technical masterclass. But if if the crowd aren't giving you that extra G up in it, it, it can take away. Where obviously with this, isn't a technical masterclass on that sort of level 
but because the crowd are in it, it gives it an extra two or three points of sort like of a, energy there's, to it. There's a, there's, a, there's a massive difference for me, Chris, when a crowd is applauding a wrestling match, but there's a massive difference between when they're invested in a match, you know, where it's sort of like affecting their behaviour. As in, they, they, they're more than invested. They're more than invested. They're involved. I think that's the you know. There's a lot of matches where the crowd are invested. They're involved here. Like you know, it's so this, this isn't this isn't 1960. You know, wrestling fans aren't meant to believe what they're seeing in the ring. Wrestling fans <laughs> aren't meant to vault the guardrail because they want to beat the piss out of the heel in the ring. This is 1996. These fans are meant to be smarter than that. And this angle took them away from that moment. And that's the thing we say about ECW. The bar's a lot higher, but in many ways it is a lot higher, but it's also somewhat more achievable because you know who your fans are. But you've got to give ECW credit when they can get oh, a reaction massive. like this. Um, really, really excellent. We move on to the main event. It's Stevie Richards and Primetime Brian Lee versus the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. And there are stipulations everywhere. So, here we go. If Sandman took the fall, he would get caned ten times. If Dreamer lost, Bueller would have to leave ECW. If Brian Lee lost, he would lose his hair. And if Stevie Richards filling in for ECW champion Raven lost, whoever pinned him would be the champ. Salman hands Dreamer his beer, which when you think of these two were at war two years ago is a bit jarring. As is tradition, Salman's entrance takes absolutely ages. Him and Bueller are quite friendly. We cut to what will be a TV commercial, and we come back. We sorry, we cut to the TV commercial, and just before we do, we see him licking beer off of her chest. This starts as an actual tag team match with Lee and Dreamer. They spill to the outside. Richards goes after both of them, and Salmon basically jumps on Richards' back to stop the attack. Richards and then Dreamer get thrown to the guardrail. Salmon suplexes the table onto Richards. Yes, I did read that correctly. We end up in the ring with Sandman and Richards. Sandman misses a clothesline in the corner. Meanie follows him in. Stevie hits a super kick and, Sa- uh, Stevie- and Sandman kicks out. As they exit the ring, Dreamer and Lee return. Lee hitting a power slam. Lee pulls Bueller onto the apron and headbutts her. Dreamer rolls up Lee in the ring and almost wins it. Dreamer blocks a choke slam and hits a DDT until Laurie breaks it up. Supernova attacks Salmon on the outside. Dreamer and Lee end up back in the fans. Lee ends up vaulting Dreamer off the bleachers through a table behind. Back in the ring, Richards almost steals it. Lee and Dreamer end up in the toilet. Dreamer breaks a bottle on the sink. Dreamer gets Lee in a cubicle, then throws a chair at him. They return towards ringside where Salmon just piles up chairs on Stevie. Dreamer and Lee head towards the entranceway. Lee shoves Dreamer's head through a bit of repaired wall. Salman goes for a slingshot sent on. I guess he barely rotates 90 degrees. We see Lee and Dreamer up on the first level of the balcony, if you like. Lee hits Dreamer with a chair. They brawl while Meanie and Supernova have been stacking tables up one on top of the other. I think we know where this one's going. Lee sets for a choke slam, hits it, and Dreamer goes through four tables. That was Carnage as fans arena-wide chant ECW. Back to the ring, it's Sandman and Richards. Richards goes for a roll-up after Laurie distracted Sandman, but Sandman kicks out. Sandman rips off Laurie's dress, but turns into a super kick. Sandman kicks out, but Laurie hits a brutal cane shot. Another super kick, but another kick out. Stevie gets the cane, misses the shot. 
Sam unducks it, hits the DDT and wins the match and the title and the crowd pop big. A huge Sandman, Sandman chant rings out as the show finishes. Uh, Kieran, talk me through any or all of that. It's, if I've got to have an ECW, ECW brawl, Bob, Chris, and I've said it many times on these reviews, it's my least favourite part because on the one hand, you'll get either like a gangsters type one or God forbid we ever get that rotten versus rotten one. Was it Bob with the glass in the, you know, where we just get these horrible, horrible matches. But when you get spot fests like this, it just makes all the more sense. And it just creates a bit of light and shade on the card for the event as a whole. So you get the, the earlier matches where you get more wrestling. And then we get this massive, just, like some of the, like I said, the, 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 the table spot with Dreamer and Lee, um, the stuff in the, the even going the flipping toilets. Um, you've got when Supernova starts attacking Salmon on the outside. Um, Lee and, uh, he, did he vault Dreamer off? And then there's a table behind, through a table behind him. And then, like I said, I don't really like Sandman. It doesn't really do anything at all, but I can't ignore that pop bob. That even I even I felt happy for the guy, and I know sort of like the top. I won't enjoy the title reign going forward probably if it's like the last the last one he had, but I can't ignore that pop. And fair play to the guy, just a really good way. What a way to end the show, Chris. Well, first things first, we do have to mention is Dreamer. What is it that? makes him think, let's dive off things through tables. <laughs> he's hardcore, is... Chris, he's hardcore. Because it ain't going to do your career much good when you can't walk, but it is a good visual. <laughs> we, we can't go against how good of a visual it is. Um, obviously, the arena-wide brawl, as you would normally get between these sort of people did what they usually do, you know, banging into walls. The toilets was a new thing to do. Um, I think Sandman winning the belt, but without beating Raven, gives it a little bit more sort of vigitas on it that you've got... Raven still hasn't been beaten. He still has his kid. He still has his ex-wife. You know, you may have the title belt, and you may think that that's a... You've got this, the symbol of it, but it can continue and the feud can keep going because Raven still has all these other things that were important to Sandman. So, you know, obviously they needed to do something with Raven being off for, for uh, it only being a few weeks, but obviously we all know how quick things can change in ECW when people can disappear. That at least the belt now is safe. What a clever match this was. I mean, this is this is this was basically two singles matches running concurrently. That was essentially what it was. And after about two or three minutes it basically broke down into that. But there was a couple of lovely little kind of you know, side stories going on. Uh, one was, you know, the, the, the Sam and Laurie development, which I guess wasn't that that clever. But the thing I really liked, and I don't know how 
how well how much people noticed it, but the kind of small attention to detail that I thought was really nice was that R- Richards has got obviously no Raven, but he's got meaning he's got Supernova out there with him. And then who were the two guys building the stack of tables on the outside for Dreamer and and Lee? It was Meanie and Nova. And so when all that shit ran down and we cut back to the ring, Richards has got no help. Uh, it's a really, really nice story that I think will be interesting to see how they follow up on that, but I thought that was really clever. This was a really, really fun main event. As I say, the ECW are really quite good at these long, thought-out, stipulation-heavy matches, and sometimes they overdo it. But this one just about worked, in that each of the four felt believable to one degree or another, um, but I guess to an extent it felt like the kind of match where the one thing that's probably least likely to happen is Richards getting pinned to, for Sandman to win the title. Um, but we've got to give all four guys credit. I mean, we basically should talk about those two separate matches, really. I mean... A lot of arena-wide brawling, but certainly more so with Lee, where Lee and uh, Dreamer are concerned. But the once that big spot happened, and that looked fucking tremendous, but once mm. that big spot happened and we kind of refocused on the two guys in the ring, like, we Richards is really, really good in this comedy character, but the one thing that underpins him is that when it comes to it, he's a really, really good wrestler. I think you go back around about a year when he faced Sabu. Maybe it was at the beginning of this year. It's around that time. And it was like, he, I don't know, you know, Sabu is a really good worker as well, but Richards and Sabu had a really good competitive match. And Richards, above all else, is a really good worker. And it helps in a situation like this, in that he can add so much drama to the last few minutes of this match because he's so on it. And it really, really worked. And they, you know, he's got this really sweet-looking super kick. It's a far better fucking super kick than Shawn Michaels. Jesus. Oh, um, it's so much better. Um, and he's got the super kick, which is just about believable as a finisher. So we, they do the second thing, and it's the near fall. And then Sandman hits the finish with a big win. I think, Kieran, you're exactly right. The, you know, the, the prospect of another Sandman title reign doesn't exactly fill me with glee. Um, but I'm kind of more intrigued to see what might happen once Raven kind of gets hold of, of his guys. I'd quite like to see Richards broken off from that group. I'd like, I, I think an interesting little story into 1997 is, is Raven trying to make Richards' life hell, but Richards just being slightly better than him in the ring. That could be a really nice dynamic if they got behind that. Um, Chris, any more thoughts? I think you've basically put it really well there. Um, obviously, I I hadn't thought that obviously Meany and Noble were the ones setting up the tables, and that's why no, they left on his own. Um, but thinking of it that way, if they go forward, it could be really good. Obviously, a Raven's going to come back and try and get at Sandman, which is obvious. But I'm quite intrigued to see what Raven does to Richards. Because obviously we all know that Raven is very venge- vengeous and sort of vengeful of how he reacts to his minions. And with this, he is going to take it out on Stevie that he's the one that lost him the belt. I'm far and- more interested to see Raven versus Richards than I am Raven versus Sandman. I know that feud's still ongoing, um, but I could quite happily see them 
end that program next month and pivot away from, well, raving away from the title for a while. Um, sorry, Chris. No, as I said, you know, that, that would be an obvious way to go forward. Obviously, if you, if you don't want to have Raven as the champion and you've always got in the background dreamer for Raven, I think that's still, that's definitely not finished. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could do a lot with Stevie and having him have a feud with Raven over Raven basically punishing him could be a good starting point. And in, if anything, it pr- probably turn him face. And you could probably do something with Stevie, sort of keep him with his little comedy chops because he is, you know, a decent little comedy wrestler sort of act to his act. But let him be a singles wrestler and actually show the fact that he can wrestle. So let him get fit first. I mean, the guy's just been on walking injury all year. I'd almost kind of prefer he stayed stayed out of in-ring action for a while until he's healed. Um, but yeah, I, I could quite easily go with doing Raven and Richards and then probably pivot into Shane Douglas and Sandman. Uh, that's probably the next logical progression. Uh, they've got to end the pitbull thing, I suppose, but that probably will make sense. Kieran, any more thoughts? No, no, nothing else, Bob. Uh, Kieran, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? Uh, overall, really, really good because, like, um, I think Chris mentioned at the beginning that, um, sort of the, the really, really good stuff was really, really good. Those last two matches. There was only a sort of a couple of duff points, but didn't in in unlike shows previously, Bob, they didn't really take the whole event down like other ones have done before when we get a bad match or a bad segment. Um love the last two matches. I like the Taz stuff. I like even like the Spicoli uh, furnace thing at the beginning. Um so overall out of ten I'll give this an eight out of ten. Chris. Again, um, as I said earlier, it has the very best, and when it is a bit duff, at least it's short. Um, as a two-hour tape, I will quite happily watch this again and again. Um, it, is, it is very, very good. I will give it a big nine. Ooh. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm down with Kieran at an eight. Um... You know, there's, there's, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, I talk about, I talk about Mysterio Malenko, it's probably missing the great in-ring match in, in one sense or another. Um, it probably is missing that, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, there, there's enough going for this show at times and it flattens out a bit in the middle. Um, and we don't see all of it, but. It's basically a two-match show with a couple of really good angles elsewhere. Uh, Spicoli finish was nice. The Tad Alfonso stuff is consistently excellent. But you can skip most of this show, even though it's quite a fun watch, and just watch the final two matches. And they're both, in their own way, really, really good. That Douglas Pitbull match could be right up there in the end-of-year awards. Now, in the basement at this time the former companion of the former world heavyweight champion Raven who has taken a sudden leave of absence she also happens to be as you know the ex-wife of the new world heavyweight champion the Sandman now Ms. Fullington man I've got to ask you I don't mean to get personal but how does it feel you and your son have been abandoned by Raven you're alone again 
Oh, yeah, it feels so good. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes. Ms. Fullington, Lori, maybe this needs to be made simple. Raven left, just took off, and left Stevie Richards to defend his world heavyweight title at Ultimate Jeopardy. And your ex-husband, the Sandman, pinned Stevie Richards. There will be no appeal. The Sandman is once again the world heavyweight champion. Raven is gone. I mean, it's over. Every time. Every time the Sandman gets closer to achieving his own personal nirvana, I'm gonna take it away, away, away from him. Let's try another question. Now that Raven has taken a personal leave of absence, you and your seven-year-old son, Tyler, are on your own again. You're alone. I mean, will Stevie Richards be your new project? Is he the new man in your life? Or if is Raven going to return, if at all? Or is he gone? I mean, what's going on? Raven has quit. <laughs> Not ECW. Not professional wrestling. Raven has quit his life. <laughs> quit his life. I'm not familiar with that term. Could you expound on that? So I don't know what it means. What that means is <laughs> Raven has left his life behind. He's gone away. He's gone overseas. And Sandman, just when you thought <laughs> you got a little bit of happiness, I should tell you, <laughs> he's taken Tyler with him. Gotcha. Again. <laughs> I will quickly rattle through the three episodes between these two shows. Uh, there obviously is you know, over two hours of TV from here, but most of it is stuff we've already seen. That's why this bit's so short. Second episode of the month, we see the Grunge Me segment and then Gangsters versus Richards and Meany from the show. Then see Mikey versus JT Smith and the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Brian Lee and Steve Richards made event where Sandman wins the title. Show number three, we get a quote-unquote satellite promo from Laurie Fullington, who says Raven, Raven has gone overseas with Tyler and well, taking Tyler with him. They then cut to a quote-unquote live Sandman press conference, allegedly including the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald. Sandman gets told about Tyler's situation and ends up leaving. We then see Taz versus Johnny Smith, Eliminators versus the Smurfs, Gangster Party, and the really, really good made about angle with Douglas and Pitbull too. Episode number four, Joey Styles starts with a hardline stance on Douglas Axon from Ultimate Jeopardy. We get a rerun of Jericho and Scorpio from July. Chris, is that right? It is. It's uh, Jericho's last match. Heat, heat wave, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 
that was good for me. Actually, I didn't see that at the time. Uh, sometimes ECW just need to fill some TV time. Uh, Joel Gartner, giddy as he is, sets up a promo from Shane Douglas and Francine outside of a hospital. Gary Wolf is in. Douglas says he's the man that braised the trail in ECW, and he doesn't know why everyone is so angry at him. He says the fans aren't hardcore. Did that all while sat in a wheelchair. Very nice. Yeah, promo from Dreamer stood on a big ass wall. He says Brian Lee's destiny is his. We cut to the montage, uh, the usual video montage of Bill Alfonso cutting a promo in the middle of a hurricane. As ever with Bill Alfonso, that was really excellent. Uh, Chris, we move on to ECW High Incident. Uh, kick us off with the results. So, Bubba Ray, Davey Morton, and Hank Myers beat Axel Rotten, Devon Dudley, and JT Smith. Mikey Whipwreck defeated Johnny Smith. Taz defeated Little Guido. Chris Candido defeated Spike Dudley. Shane Douglas defeated Cody Michaels to retain the TV title. Sandman defeated Two Cold Scorpio to retain the World Heavyweight title. The Eliminators defeated Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. RVD and Sabu defeated Dan Crawford and Doug Furness. And Tommy Dreamer defeated Brian Lee in a scaffold match. You're right, Kieran. That's why I was dying. Oh, there we go. Uh, what do you think of this show? This was. Oh, hang on. I, I was asking Kieran. But... Oh. Go, 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 Chris. Go on. You, you no, that's right. No, because I'm about to. I'm going to carry on dying here. So, Chris, oh, okay. Yep. Um, not as good as uh, Ultimate Jeopardy, but. A solid, uh, it's definitely a solid show. Um, again, showing sort of ECW in sort of both lights, we have some of the best extreme moments and some good wrestling, but we also have, you know, some bits that just don't really be need- needed to be had. Um, but obviously, by the sounds of it, we did get lucky with the tape that we got that we didn't get those opening two matches because I re- would have imagined they weren't great. Kieran? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back now. Um, so, yes, it's kind of similar in tone to the other show, but just the good bits here were nowhere. They were never going to touch what happened on Ultimate Jeopardy. So, again, we get the some good stuff and some not-so-good stuff. And I think Chris is... Absolutely correct. I think those two matches we didn't see wouldn't have added anything or wouldn't have given us any more to go on, I think, if we'd have been able to see them. So I think what we got was okay, just probably not as good as last time. Yeah. Um, uh, an, an average to decent show rather than the show we got earlier on. Um, yeah, the, 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 the highs, well, um, the actual highs, the highs weren't as high as the last show. Um, and yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was alright. Um, Do you think, think if, if this had been on a different month, or maybe the only show of a month, it would have... Um, maybe. Um, I perhaps mm. would have seen the full Sabu Van Damme tag match. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe it just it, it feel a bit, you know, a lesser of two halves. Because I'm just thinking, because of Alma Jeffrey being as good as it was, that obviously that, and that being the first show of the month, that it wasn't going to live up to or continue on at that sort of level. So it, it, it was already on the hiding bar, for yeah, nothing. The, the bar's already set high and 
how you're going to talk with it, to have another show within the same month probably seems a bit foolhardy, but you know they're kind of committed to. Well, that. I mean, from, from ECW's point of view, it's another tape to sell. It's another full arena. Yeah. So uh, you know that. that makes sense. There's enough things going on in this show where we felt that we need to review it. The tape starts with Olympic freestyle wrestling gold medalist Kurt Angle walking out to the ring. Fans, despite the fact he's from Pennsylvania, don't really know who he is, which is interesting. Uh, Little Guido, a high school wrestling champion himself, says it's an honour before Joey Styles says that Angle must also be impressed with the wrestling credentials of this man. This man being Taz. Taz calls Angle the man he says he contemplated competing for the United States. Fucking hell. But he'd rather make money. Taz congratulates Angle on being a great amateur wrestler, but he's a great professional wrestler. We open up with Little Guido versus Taz with Bill Alfonso and Team Taz under shoot fight rules. Angle joins Joe Styles on commentary, which I'm guessing was done live in the building. It certainly sounds so, given the audio quality. Guido shoots for a single leg. Taz counters with an arm lock and a throw. We get a leg lock from Taz. Angle perhaps isn't doing a great job saying this, given that the rules clearly aren't anything like he's witnessed before. Taz locks in a bow and arrow. Guido gets to his feet, so Taz hits a clothesline. Angle, quite rightly, wants to know why Taz doesn't just finish him off. Taz goes for an armbar. Guido box it, but Taz locks in before Guido escapes. Angle says it's a, quote, pretty brutal sport. Styles says it's the most brutal sport legal in America, which I actually thought was quite funny. Uh, Taz locks in the Taz mission with Guido on his chest. Guido submits, and then Angle puts over Taz. Taz gets on the mic, calls out Angle, and says, you have to agree that was a gold medal performance. He then calls out Sabu again. Kieran, thoughts on this? It was it was okay for what it was, Bob. The, the, obviously, the more interesting part of it, well, I actually, first say just a really bizarre non-reaction. It's like you you, yeah, would, you would have figured a, 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 an Olympian from the state you're in. Well, you, you know, you know what the uh, you know what uh, Americans like for taking pride in their local sportsmen. You would have thought, and a gold medal has been right, and especially within wrestling, all right, not pro wrestling. You'd have thought he'd have been right on their radar, because and for the Olympics in Atlanta. Yeah, I would. I would. I was half expecting, you know, sort of like a really hot, you know, reaction for Angle, and then I was hoping we were going to get some sort of stare down between him and Taz. But obviously, that's that's me just jumping the, you know, jumping the gut. Yeah, jumping the, the, the one thing I should say about uh, Angle, we didn't report this last month, but apparently stories of him signing with WWF or WCW were a bit ahead of schedule, uh, or a bit jumping the gun anyway. Uh, apparently he's been offered stuff, but seems to have turned it all down. Sorry, Kieran, carry on. Yeah, yeah, it just, I, I thought we might get a bit more. I understand why we don't, because the one that keep the T's out there, but also, just... <sighs> It, I it, we can't, it, it we can't possibly do Taz versus Angle. I know that it seems like Angle probably is, sounds all that interested in return, but they cannot possibly put Taz <laughs> over Olympic gold medalist. I know they sort of just the poor violins, but no fucker in the world is going to believe Taz out wrestling a guy who's like 50 pounds heavier. He just, he'll call an audible, Bob. But anyway, uh, uh, he will. <laughs> but it was just, it was really, Distracting. I think we mentioned it in the previous review about what I was going to say about it. It was just, it was just really odd. Like Angle didn't know, like he was not prepared, or that was kind of the point is that he was, he was going to seem surprised at what pro wrestling was all about, and 
you know, sort of well, this was meant to be real, but I just think they didn't quite clue him in as exactly. No, it just seemed he, he, he was watching. He got memo one, but he didn't get memo two or three. So he got there. He got there with sort of like this is what's going to happen in the match, but they didn't sort of brief him on how he might want to speak about things later. Sorry, it's a bit of a muddled sentence, but do you know what I mean? They didn't. They didn't seem to follow up, so they just said, Kurt, can you come to the building for this match? This is what the match is going to be. This is Taz, this is what he does. But further than that, it just seemed to be all a bit awkward and it all felt a bit flat when it should have been something better. Chris? Um, I actually quite liked having Angle on the commentary. I thought how he was describing it with instead of you know using wrestling move names and using more you know calling them throws and going oh that that's a judo type move or that gave it more of a sort of this is the expert in amateur wrestling they're having an amateur wrestling but he also knows that these things are from judo or that you know these are different techniques obviously he wouldn't use himself in, in the amateur wrestling and the Olympic wrestling. Um, so I thought it actually did add a little bit of, a little bit of a color, a little bit of a sort of a different flavor to it. Um, the match itself was a pretty much a sort of a bit of a damp square because amateur wrestling holds and sort of leaning on each other. Isn't that great. It's good to see Taz lob Guido about because Guido's small and, is easy for Taz to throw. Um, obviously, if Angle could sign, I don't. Th- I, as Bob said, I don't think you can. You can legitimately put him over, put Taz over him, just because he's, you know, Taz. But I'd quite like to see him actually have a fight. Oh, this, I think this is the fourth ECW shoot fight this year. I, I can't believe they're still doing them. I think they've all been drab. Like, you know, I don't think any of them have... You, you, you look at all the stuff that's got Taz over in the last 18 months. I don't think any of it has had anything to do with the shoot fight stuff, which they insist on keep trying and hope that it'll eventually work. Mm. Um, I thought the whole thing was really flat. Um, you know, an Olympic gold medalist comes out in his home state, okay, pro wrestling and amateur wrestling uh, are different enough where they're not really the same thing. If Ankle was a, you know, a javelin thrower, it probably wouldn't have been any different versus Kurt Angle, the amateur wrestler, in terms of his reaction. But just genuinely, generally a just really poor reaction. And then they'd sort of clued in Angle on some stuff, but not quite enough to the point where it was working. And then you've got Angle on commentary kind of treat this like it's real. And then Angle's gone, okay, well, I'll treat the throws that are real, but I won't really understand why. Or It just all felt a bit shit, um, in, in all honesty. Uh, I don't know if they paid him for that, but I'm not sure it was worth it. It was just a bit weird. Um, nothing about it clicked. Well, nothing about the Taz shoot fight thing has clicked this year for me at all. But anyway, there we go. The former Skip comes out, now under his real name as Chris Candido, uh, for a match with the newest Dudley, Spike. Candido gets a big face, uh, 
Candido is a big face getting a Candito or Candito chant, sorry, for their chant. We want Sonny and Skip is dead. Candito hits a release German suplex. Spike basically lands vertically on his shoulders. Spike indeed. Later in the match, he hits a big super bomb from the top rope, not even the second, and that would be enough for the pin. After the match, fans chant, don't go back. Candito promotes WWF Livewire, to which Joey responds, Bruce from Connecticut may call that. Hear more about that in uh, Volume 2 of this month's show. Candito praises Vince McMahon, but says that he handed his notice and that he's happy not to be in a locker room full of ass kisses. He ends up calling the building a shithole. Uh, Chris, very quickly on this. It was a sort of good little squash match. Um, it's good to see Candido here and not under the the blanket of the Skip character and the Body Donners, Kieran. Yeah, same. Good. To, it's good to see the guy because he has got talent. Let's be fair, and but that that Skip stuff was doing nothing for him. So yeah, let's feed him Spike, give him a couple of more squash matches, and then see where it goes from there. Speaking of 1995 WWF, it's Shane Douglas versus Michaels next up. Unfortunately, it's Joey Michaels and not Sean. Uh, Douglas calls everyone smart marks. Douglas seems to think he actually broke Pitbull one's neck twice. I think he'd probably be dead if that was the case. Uh, fans chant, she's a whore. Usual deal. Douglas threatens to walk away and then eventually decides he'd actually rather earn some money. Fans respond with she's got her piece and finally Pitbull 2 storms out, only to be held back by a load of guys to which I cannot fucking work out why. There's no, there's no, there's yes. never been any logic in wrestling for any group of undercard wrestlers holding back the baby face so from beating the fuck out of a heel. There is no logic in that whatsoever. Stop doing that. Anyway, quote-unquote commercial mid-match. Michaels hits a lovely inverted atomic drop and a forearm. Joey try, Styles tries to sell it as a massive near fall, but it really wasn't. Michaels hits a drop kick, a body slam and a frying crossbody. This is one of those matches where Joey Styles' tone on commentary really doesn't reflect the actual drama in the match. Michaels runs at Douglas with a chair, then sits on him before uh, sits him on it, avoiding a running crossbody onto Douglas. A near fall, Styles is still trying to sell the drama that's not there. Douglas hits a DDT for what presumably is the turning point in the match, then a tombstone pile driver. Douglas basically wins by a knockout as the ref goes to call it, but Francine actually stops him. Douglas then hits the far left impressive buddy-to-buddy suplex and that will end that Douglas levels the ref after he calls to the back for help fans chant Pitbull who'll be here in a minute Douglas does a twisting full Nelson and here is Pitbull why ECW's jobbers are trying to hold him back I've got no idea Pitbull fights them all off but Douglas has vanished by that point Douglas runs back out when the tire is right with the chair it's a solid enough chair chop to the head but Pitbull too just no sells it Douglas ends up running around the ring jumps back into the ring and then inadvertently we think shoulder tackles Francine Douglas takes cover on the outside. Pitbull shapes to go after Francine, but the job would stop him. Douglas gets back in the ring, try and hit Pitbull with the belt. Pitbull blocks it, and Douglas and Francine leave. Joel Gertner gets in the ring. Joey Styles says, what's this hemorrhoid doing in the ring? <laughs> Gertner tries to make the announcement, but objects uh, to Pitbull getting in his face. He tries to make the announcement again, but just ends up saying, oh, shit. As Pitbull picks him up, and I actually thought it was a bit late. He picks him up, then he threw him backwards over the top ropes into a group of jobbers. I'm guessing Gertner's not ready to take a big bump yet. Uh, Chris, thoughts on all the above? Again, um, Shane 
is so hated that you know the littlest thing that he does and the crowd boo the shit out of him um i love the fact that they go for the the neck breaking angle and that got so super heat um again as you were saying i don't understand why the faces were holding pitbull back but you know, it worked for that sort of bit at the end where he runs through and then runs away again and even will run through Francine to make sure he doesn't get caught. These two can keep going for as long as they like. Kieran? Yeah, I just wish they'd have let him... I kind of understood why they didn't let him go. It just annoyed the piss out of me, but we just didn't need the quote-unquote match in the middle. Well, don't, have, don't have him come out at the start. Well, just do it at the end. Like, you know, there's no need to send him out there at the front. He didn't go anywhere. I mean, he yeah. came back out, but it was like, don't don't have two equally as annoying plot holes one after another if you can just have one. Like, yeah. surely. Uh, but the um, the match was just was something and nothing. But again, this this feud is just. So good. If it's just going, I'd quite happily watch every time Douglas gets a match. It's kind of like the um, the the way that they wanted. I think the way they wanted we or I wanted the sort of the Taz and Sabu thing to go. Where why doesn't Sabu come out and answer his call? Well, now we've got the Pitbull who is just prepared that Douglas even shows his face. It's now Douglas is surely is going to have to have eyes in the back of his head, and I think that's the kind of way I want this feud to go. Is it, Douglas is going to get more and more paranoid? He's probably not going to let it show because he's Shane Douglas, and he's probably going to sort of just carry on with his shit eating grin and that. But I'd kind of like to see a bit of a different psychology from Douglas, where there's maybe we see a chink in his armour, somewhat maybe he lashes out at Francine or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Something a bit different from Douglas. So he's every time he gets a match now, he's going to be scared that Pitbull's going to run in and try and get him. But I think going forward, this just feud just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, uh, the match wasn't really much of anything. Um, you know, Joe Styles, as good as he is, sometimes just doesn't seem to be able to read a situation very well. Um, and this was one of those cases where it's like, there's no drama in this match, Joey. Don't try and convince us otherwise. He, he's usually on point, but this he really wasn't. Um, the end of the, you know, the post-match angle, I don't think was great either, but Gertner's great. Joe Styles calling him a hemorrhoid is a really good line. Um, and Gert is so on point. So on point. That was such a good angle. Get, get, you're in my shot. Get out of the way. And then Pitbull says, he's just like, oh shit. What a, I, I say, he's just, it, it said the bump was so bad. We were only a bump. got thrown to a load of jobbers. Um, but still, really, really good. We will next to the Salmon versus Two Cold Scorpio for the ECW heavyweight title. The respect between the two breaks down pretty early. Sandman grabs a cane, Scorpio grabs a chair, but they both down tools, at least for now. They shake hands and hug before Scorpio knees him in the chest and flings him into a chair propped up in the corner. Sandman ducks under a drop kick, takes a swing with his cane, but that misses and Scorpio nails a super kick. Scorpio hits a lovely moonsault, only for a two. 
head to the top. Salman gets up and twats him with two cane shots. Then hits the Frankenstander, as I think Joey Styles once called it. That looked horrendous. Only two. Tukol goes for a tricky leg drop. He misses. Salman pins him and retains the title. Out comes Tyler. Tyler Fullington in Sandman gear. Sandman gets on one knee and gets a hug. Turns out the whole thing is a ruse as Raven slides in for the other side and smashes Sandman over the head with a cane shot. And that's where the TV edit goes off the air. We're still here. Raven's lackey sets up two tables, one on top of another, and rail dry, Raven pars drives him through them. And that is where our tape cuts. After that, we get the crucifixion and that whole thing happens. And we don't see that. Uh, Kieran, thoughts on this? Um, it's t- I feel really bad because, like I said, I really enjoyed the pop that Sandman got. But then you just know what the matches are going to be, Bob. And like I said, I do feel a bit bad because I was genuinely pleased with that how that finished at uh, Ultimate Jeopardy. But my God, the, the Franken sand. Oh Christ! Anyway. Um, but the stuff after it, I'll just give props to Chris because he called it because this is exactly how they're going to fill the time between, you know, uh, Sandman's got the title, Raven's on his way back. So now they're pushing that Tyler Fullington's coming out and they're going to sort of push the kid to the forefront to kind of what, like Chris said exactly in the last review. They're going to sort of um, show that you might have the title, but you haven't got Sandman, you haven't got what you really want. Just a really, really effective way to keep the feud going. Uh, we don't get the crucifixion thing, but I think that would have just been like the, the cherry on the, you know, the icing on the cake, if you like. Yeah, the crucifixion thing actually kind of, you know, even think about it, it does just feel out of place. Like the strength in the angle was the... You, you almost didn't need the table spot. Like the, the TV edit was almost the perfect thing, was that Salman you know, gets on his knees, Tyler gives him a hug, and Raven screws him. That was the end of the angle. Like, you watch it on ECW Hardcore TV, that was the end of the angle. But you didn't need any more, I don't think, Chris? No, um, as I said, the TV edit did it much better. Um, the match was was just awful. There's, there's no nice way of putting it. It was really sloppy. Even Scorpio looked bad in this match. Um, what? Sorry, Chris. What, why does why did Scorpio get the shot? Is this like is this before he leaves? They're giving him one. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's more just the case of so they can say Samman's defended a title and they've got someone. Just, give it, just, just whip wreck. Put, uh, well, they, I know they, what I mean. They've done that match before as well. It was a clean victory for your new champion, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so, anyway, sorry. Go on. I think I think it was just a case of let's put him in there with someone who, in theory, he can have a decent match with. <laughs> clearly, didn't yeah, happen. All right, Chris, you, you, you try to convince. <laughs> But, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was that bad, actually. It wasn't very long, but... <laughs> but I mean, then, say, say the usual Sandman, just erratic wrestling ability, I thought was okay. Well, you know, it, it was what it was. Um, but it was all about that end and all about Raven and Pilot and everything that comes afterwards. Obviously... Was the table bit really needed? Probably not. The crucifixion, obviously we didn't see it, but would that have really been needed? Probably not. Him just the walloping. Angle, the angle felt pretty good anyway. That was the yeah. thing. Like, it was like, 
at what at what point they think, well, we'll have this thing where Tyler comes out and then Raven and this big surprise return will smash Salmon over the head and it'll turn out to lose. So what point does someone go, actually, we've got this, but can we add a, a, a you know, a, a crucifixion spot, if they, if they knew about it, um, and a double table spot? I, I don't think so. Sorry, Chris. As you said, it, it basically it just still seems a bit, oh, let's just do this extra shit just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, and as I say, watch it on TV. Didn't didn't appear. There we go. Yeah, I, I I wasn't quite as low on this match, but it is a Sandman match. You know, it is it is pretty bad. Um, and the angle with Tyler was really effective up until the point it went off the air, and then it just kind of got a bit more excessive. But I think long story short, that's kind of why it probably happened. Anyway, at this point we got the break, and this point Raven comes back out and does his apology. We don't see that either. Um, we then move on to the Eliminators, Saturn and Cronus, versus Terry, Bam Bam, Gordy and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Cronus hits a weak spin kick on Gordy. We start with actual tag rules, it seems. Williams tags in, but gets met with a strong clothesline by Cronus. Williams knocks Saturn off of the top and uh, before Williams hits the power slam. Knocks Saturn off of the apron, sorry. There's a light rest in peace chant, which is quite nice, given this is about six days after In Your House... Buried alive, where uh, Terry Gordy attacked the Undertaker in a in a mask. Um, Cronus hits a bulldog for a two. Still a normal tag match. This the crowd are very quiet. Uh, Gordy does a running clothesline in opposite corner uh, corners. Saturn powerbombs Williams onto the concrete. Cronus finally gets the tag. Saturn barely connects with a drop kick. Gordy hits a slow powerbomb. Cronus hits a rolling slam and a splash from the top from Saturn. We get a total elimination, but Williams breaks up the pin. They send Williams to the outside. Saturn then starts climbing the scaffolding. Oh, Lord. Saman then drops an incredibly well-executed elbow drop from the top. They win the match. That scaffolding, quote-unquote, which isn't really scaffolding. It's basically just some, <laughs> it's a wooden walkway suspended with chain and rope. Um, that scaffolding, I'm hoping, isn't fully assembled yet. I was wrong on that, and the segment ends with Sam uh, Sandman. The segment ends with Saturn getting stretched off. Chris, for the fact that this match has been being built up for the past couple of months, it really didn't deliver. Um, it just seemed like a really sort of boring, ploddy match. It never really sort of, it never got going. It never sort of really held even the attention of the people in the crowd. Saturn is is mental. Clearly, we noticed this last the last show when he puts a ladder on top of a table on the top toe, top rope. Now he wants to basically hang off a bit of wood that's literally just hanging off the ceiling and jump off it. This isn't going to be good for the longevity of his career, but it's you know a good thing to watch. It was it was the only highlight of a pretty dull match. Kieran, yeah, I'd, coming off the back of the Sandman match as well, I, I, I think the crowd sort of uh, the the crowd said it all about this match. Not even they could find anything in it, and we know how much that you know sort of. I mean, they, they, the Eliminators can get a reaction out of the crowd, but I think it's more to do with Gordy and Steve Williams. They're just slow and ploddy. 
the I thought the the beatdown they were giving Cronus at the, sort of like at the beginning of the match was maybe going to go somewhere, but it did. It just nothing ever goes anywhere. And like I said, the only decent thing is the fact that Saturn is perpetually inclined to keep trying to kill himself. And that seems to be the only the highlight of the match. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, it, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like we've got Saturn and Cronus that are heels, and then Bam Bam and Dr. Destiny Williams, people don't really care about. Um, and, you know, we talk about how important a crowd reaction is off the back of Pitbull 2 and Douglas earlier in the month. Yeah, this was kind of the opposite. Just really flat. Like, people just didn't care. You know, as I say, it was the rest in peace shout, which, you know, six days out was a hell of an effort um, for uh, certain members of the uh, ECW audience to uh, make that connection. Anyway, move on next. Rob Van Dam and Sabu versus Dan Crawford and Doug Furness. Chris, was this the main event? Uh, did I read that wrongly? Uh, no, this wasn't the main event. The main event is the scaffold match. Right, okay, it was. My notes may be out of order. Oh, no, sorry. The, the, in the tape, it's in this order, but I wasn't sure when I read the, the live event report whether this was the last match or not. Anyway, Rob Van Dam and Sabu versus Dan Crawford and Doug Furness. We joined the match in progress, but just in time to see Sabu miss his intended target and send himself and Van Dam crashing through a table on the outside. I have no idea what that was or what it was even meant to be. Sabu hits a suplex on what's well, fair that's you could say most things about most things Sabu does. Uh, Sabu hits a suplex on Crawford. Looks for a tag, but Van Damme is nowhere to be found. Crawford locks in a rough looking sleeve before hitting a suplex. Stars is desperately trying to crowbar Taz references to Crawford's offense. Desperate. I mean, like, you know, some of it makes more sense, but him hitting a suplex is not a Taz inference in itself. Anyway, first it's a lovely Plasam. He locks in a Boston crowd, but Van Damme finally comes to to smash up the submission. Sabu hits a lovely rolling DDT and gets a tag to Van Damme. He hits a lovely rolling shoulder tackle from the top. Van Damme hits some kicks on Crawford, a standing moonsault and a nice butterfly suplex. Van Damme runs at Crawford, but gets folded up with a clothesline. Sabu hits a triple drop leg drop. That move is so fucking smooth. Where Sabu just jumps to the top and then cleanly spins on his heel. So nice. Him and Van Damme are working well together. We get a stereo slingshot leg drop and splash from the pair. Sabu hits a triple drop moonsault onto Furnace. Crawford comes off the top with a splash to break up the pin. But Sabu moves and Crawford smashes onto Furnace. Sabu sneaks back in and Crawford kind of just looks confused. And Sabu picks up the pin, uh, picks up the victory. Sabu wants a handshake from Van Damme. And we finally get that and a hug. Very nice. Oh, there we go. Uh, Chris. So you've got Furnace and Crawford who are just awesome and there there needs to be a lot more of these two. Um, they are just big boy suplexes, big boy impact. And then you put it with Sabu and RVD who do all the flips and all the triple jump moves and sort of the innovative stuff. And it works so well and melds so well together. Um, the shame is on this, we didn't get the whole match because... I've, I would have quite happily watched a lot more of this. Um, so I, I, I sort of badly want to see if Furnace and Crawford and the Steiners can join together because I think that oh. would be an awesome match. Well, unfortunately, Furnace and Crawford are on their way to the WWF, so you might be a while waiting for that one. Oh. It's a shame. That's pissed on me, Chips. 
Well, what, what, because, because the Steiners versus Ferris and Crawford isn't comparable to the, to Ferris and Crawford versus the Godwins. Come on. This is, that's the match we yeah, want you're to right. see. Yeah, you're right, you're right, Bob, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just right. them two yes. lobbing the Godwins about. <laughs> I'd pay money for that. The, you know, Dan Crawford and Doug Furness versus the New Rockers. I mean, who doesn't want to see that match? Shoot the bed. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> K- Kieran, what you got? Oh, d- well, you've, you, yeah, but you've destroyed me now, Bob. Because I was just about to say, it's really good to see... Well, anyway, we'll talk about this, right? Crawford and Furness, just fantastic. Carrying on again from last month. Um, I didn't know whether they did it last month. Maybe you can help me out, but I like the fact they're in matching the tie and made them seem even more of a team. You then put their move set together against, like Chris said, with Sabu and Van Damme. It is the perfect melting pot for like a tag team match. Um, Sab, some of Sabu and Van Damme's flip-de-doo stuff is just unbelievable timing, especially that triple jump thing is just, uh, like I said, I could, I could watch, if they could have sort of like tag match like this in every event, it'd just be just, Perfect. Um, I, I can't imagine being able to do a leg drop from a top row. Like, to, to, just like, you know, if you gave me like 15 minutes to get my balance on a top rope and then said, right, do a leg drop, make it look good, but don't kill your opponent. And then Sabu combines that with the much, much harder skill of running, jumping off a chair and landing correctly on the top rope. And then combines that with a really smooth spinning motion before he does the leg drop. That's so good. It's it's kind of when when you say it, like when you break it down, Bob. It's kind of ridiculous that he's able to do that. In you know to have the presence of mind, also you know he's got the presence of mind of where he is. Is the opponent in the right position? That's all going through his head. Right, I've got to get the chair in place. Is the chair in the? Do you know what I mean? When you start breaking it down, it's just the guy's a phenom, absolutely absolute phenom. And the fact he does it three or four times in a match <laughs> for fun. And I like Bob. I just quickly, I'd love to say, I'd, I'd love to know what that bit was at the beginning, Bob. Right, you. I'd love to know because it just. Yeah, we kind of came in and he just like, like just, one of the guys moved and Sabu and Van Damme and just made, It just made me laugh because it's sort of like, oh, you, you, it's like if you miss like a bit of your favourite team rebuild, you come back in and all of a sudden there's two dudes just dead, put through a couple of toes. Like, oh, what the fuck happened there? Did I miss something? So I'd love to see what got him in that position, but just what a fantastic match. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, it, uh, not not on the level of last month. One, I don't think it was anyway, but two, we only really saw that after it. Um, but yeah, like Van Damme and Sabu were just great as chaotic fucking tag team. And I think they alluded to it on TV, Chris, didn't they, that they might put Van Damme and Sabu in a tag team title picture? Uh, yeah, they uh, had a chance for a match against the Eliminators, um, I think, because they won this match. I'd be up for it. Um, Sabu oh, and all Sabu over Van Damme just creating chaos. I mean, it's kind of a shame we're not going to get a third one in this series. Um, but, you know, as it is, it looks like Crawford and Furnace are off. But, yeah, really, really good. Really enjoyed it. All four guys are great. Uh, I could watch this. I could watch three or four more versions of this match. I, I think all four guys are creative enough where they could come up with different variations around the same theme, and it'd still be interesting. 
Um, but yeah, um, you know, Va- Van Dam has, you know, this year we, we, you know, he might be most, it may not, mo- well, we, we have the, the end of year award for kind of most improved slash rising star slash, you know, all of the above in that kind of category. Not that Van Dam was necessarily bad when the year started, but we're getting to the end of the year and he's starting to feel like a major act now. He's, you know, his, his, his match quality, admittedly he's been working a lot with Sabu and more recently alongside Sabu against really good guys, which I think is covering his weaknesses. Um, but he's holding his own in a tag team with a guy who will just do fucking whatever he wants. Um, and that's no mean feat. Anyway, main event time. Prime time, Brian Lee versus Tommy Dreamer in a scaffold match. We cut to the ring, and there is, I think, 12 tables in the ring. We basically four in a kind of rectangular shape, and four on top of those, and then four on top of those. And the scaffold, it's not really a scaffold. It's basically, they have scaffold going up one side, and then the scaffold leads to the top where they've got this wooden walkway that's probably about a metre, a metre and a half wide and maybe six, seven metres long, I'd say. They suspended that by about eight different chains to the ceiling and then out of each of the corners, it's a big long rope tying it to the wall as well. The logic somehow being that if you anchor it to enough points of the building, it shouldn't move around a lot. That didn't work very well. Anyway, Dreamer attacks Lee with a bin to start. He then puts Lee's head through a bit of the wall they broke earlier in the month. Star says, we just fixed that. Dreamer then comes off of a vending machine with another bin shot. Basically do a lap of honour around the ECW arena. Lee hits Dreamer with a pumpkin and then an actual bin. <sighs> ringside and Dreamer is bleeding we see the scaffolding 12 tails in the ring stack really high I've already said that uh, yeah we'll see the stuff about scaffolding they both get up the top Dreamer hits a low blow then a DDT Dreamer dangles Lee over the edge you can see his hair dangling which is a cool visual they reset on their knees then stand up Lee sets for a choke slam but Dreamer grabs onto the roof Dreamer hangs on the corner then gets dropped and crotched himself on a piece of wood jutting out of the corner we reset, they exchange punches standing up the platform, basically held up by rope and chain, he's rocking back and forth. Dreamer lines up a load of punches, Lee dangles, dangles, Dreamer hits him again, loses his grip, and uh, Lee falls through about three tables in a very, very spectacular visual spot. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's very different to the scaffolding matches that we had in the 80s in the NWA where... You know, all normally tag team matches, all four would start on the plank and go from there. So having it sort of be an ECW style and having it had the brawl beforehand did make it a bit different. Um, the structure itself is way too dangerous for people to be wrestling on. Um, As if an actual scaffold match wasn't already dangerous enough. Yeah, but. You know, at least the the NWA ones, it was on proper two bits of scaffolding and, you know, it had a bit of security to it. Where this is literally a bit of wood hanging from the ceiling. And just to top it off, let's put a load of ch- tables in the ring because that will help break the fall. Um, visually impressive to watch the, watch the end of the match in the fall, but you're never going to get a classic from this. I mean, Chris, every scaffold match is just... Uh, just we're just waiting for a big ass fucking bump, aren't we? That's yeah. basically it. Um, 
you know, we and we 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 covered uh, one of the first shows we ever did. Uh, me, Colin, and Craig reviewed ECW, and we looked at the scaffold match then. I can't remember who was in it. I think it was JT Smith because he took a monumental bump off that. Like he basically ran off the scaffold and just like landed on his knee. That looks incredibly fun. Um, but yeah, like it's just you know. I don't I don't know that the scaffold match is drawing people into buildings in 1996, you know what I mean? Isn't there a reason one of the big two don't do this anymore? Because it's fucking stupid. Like, you know, um, Kieran? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, there, there ain't no way... I mean, health and safety means that there's, there's just no way nobody's going to be doing any painting or building or whatever, scaffolding like that. It's it's just a ridiculous looking thing to start off with. It doesn't even look... It just... It just didn't... Visually, it didn't... It didn't look like anything special. So I was already like, well, if that's a scaffold and the scaffold match is going to be pretty poor because I'd already sort of said to myself, well... If they if they get up on that rope bridge thing, they're not going to be up there for very long. As it turned out, I thought they they got they got up to that part of the scaffold far too quickly, and then they were sort of like they were sort of like you know hugging each other and sort of like doing the fox trot on the wooden bridge type thing. And then obviously you just wait you're just waiting for the spot at the end, and then when it comes, it's it's a nice echo of the spot that came in the last you know where Dreamers going through. This time, Lee's going through, um, but it just it just didn't do anything for me at all. Really, I didn't. Yeah, nothing at all. Yeah, um, I, I guess it was the logical extension of, of, of the, the match from the show before. You know, if, if we have an angle involving four tables, that's how a match involving twelve that promises a, an even bigger spot. Um, I don't know whether it was worth it. The spot, the end was quite cool, and you know, it sounds like Brian Lee came out the other side okay, a bit shook up, but not too bad. But it's like, yeah, you know, take it or leave it to an extent. Um, yeah, there we are. Uh, Chris, overall thoughts on the show and a score any out of 10? Um, I will give it a 6, as you know, it has its moments where it is good, but there is a lot that isn't really needed. Kieran? Yeah, similar score. I'm going to go for a five here, Bob. Basically, it's like the exact opposite. There's some really good stuff, but unfortunately, this time, the bad stuff does drag it down for me, and that's why I'm going to score it five out of ten. Yeah, with you on a five. Um, it's a decent show, but it, it, it's no better than that. Some memorable stuff, some nice stuff. The Joel Gertner thing was good. There was a couple of good matches. Uh, I think had we seen the full extent of the Van Damme Sabu Crawford Furnace tag match, we might have been received the show a little bit differently, but we didn't. Um, you know, just not as good as the first one, but not a bad show. I think. Long story short, and that basically brings us to the end of the month. Uh, there's there's one more episode of Hardcore TV, but it is entirely filled with stuff from um, the uh, high impact, high incident show. Sorry, uh, we get Taz and Little Guido with the Kurt Angle segment at the top. We get Douglas versus Cody Michaels, and again, I'm surprised they didn't build that as Douglas versus Michaels. I think they couldn't be able to resist that. Get Chris Candido versus Spike Dudley, and finish with Sandman versus Two Cold Scorpio, and the whole angle that followed that up until the point of the cane shot. 
that's where that cuts off on hardcore TV. Anyway, that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. Hopefully a little makeup for last month. We're a bit all over the fucking shop. Uh, regain control. Two shows that we, you know, I, I think we'd have certainly done the first one and there was just about enough in the second one where I thought we might as well review it as well. Right, yeah, the scaffold match, the second bit of Van Damme and a couple of other things too. And also out of 20 years ago mode, we kind of had to review Kurt Angle's debut in ECW. But in a month of really weird fucking shit, Kurt Angle walking out and getting no reaction. Add to that the debut of Stone Cold Steve Austin's Glass Shackling theme, and that not getting a reaction. It's a very, very weird month. Kira Mitchell, thank you very much. Cheers, Bob. Thanks for having me on again. No problem at all. Kieran, you can be found on Twitter. I can at the uh, Joton Thrash 666. Chris, I see. Thank you very much, Chris. You're welcome as always, Bob. Oh, oh, basically, on your show these days, I, I, I'm kind of a, a guest presenter, really, if anything else. And I'll be uh, back in next month because we've got a certain incident involving a 17-year-old kid called Eric Kulis, uh that we will get to. Um, and New Jack, etc., etc. The mass transit incident for for those who didn't make the connection. Uh, Chris, tell people about uh, well where they can find you on Twitter and about your WCW podcast. You can get me on my personal Twitter at Lacey555666. Uh, but namely, what you really won't be doing is getting Super Brawls. Easy enough to find. Search Super Brawls on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're on iTunes as well. Um, we are in the midst of the middle of 1992. Um, we have just had war games between the Dangerous Alliance and Sting Squadron. And our next show is Beach Blast, which has the 30-minute classic between Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. And uh, we've also got uh, Lex Luger obviously just leaving, so what's next for Sting? Oh, uh, yeah, you're getting very close to the start of our timeline. The uh, we're, we're getting that... we're getting up there with that uh, that fateful battle. Oh hall. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I think I think the very first show I watched as part of this whole thing because the Twitter account started about two or three months for the uh, for the podcast did. I think the first show I ended up watching was Slamboree '93. Um, so we get some form of background noise. Uh, sounds like the Dungeon of Doom's out there for somebody. I don't know what that's about. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and then, uh, you get the Beach Blast show, which is, is, which is quite an interesting show to do as well. Um, Chris, if it, like, I know you guys tape your studio. We've kind of, we've pulled away from me ever appearing on the Battle Bowl show because that's now an incentive for, patron users i'll promote that in a minute for people that want to do that um but also um there might be an interest from my point of view in joining in the beach blast 93 show because that's the i watched that show in full but also because it was a month before the podcast started never covered it mm. so if we, if we can line that up in some way shape or form that could be fun um and yeah so yeah you can be found uh, basically at super rules search for rules on google i'm sure it will come up links to it on the website or on our website anyway, etc, etc um, and, and all, all places where all uh, good podcasts all, are found that's the one, that's the one. <laughs> it's been a long show uh, yes, as I mentioned, we are now on Patreon you can, uh, if you'd like to chuck us a few quid a month for five bucks a month, which is increasingly becoming five quid a month, based on the exchange rate uh, you can 
get early access to podcasts like these, I want to say thank you. Um, if Kieran could stop making noise in the middle of my Patreon blog. Uh, yes, you can get access to our shows as thank you. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description. Patreon.com forward slash Wrestling20YRS. Wrestling20YRS.com. Everything's on there. Basically, iTunes, RSS, back episodes, blogs, the lot really it's all on there it's been a long night anyway a big thank you to Chris and to Kieran uh, this has been volume 3 this month's show volume 1 we take a trip to WCW for Halloween Havoc volume 2 we look at In Your House Buried Alive including Terry Gordy beating up The Undertaker that was what that was all about um, that was quite impressive that happened on the Sunday night and it, I, I can only assume it, it wasn't a big rest in peace but it's certainly audible but the, 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 I mean, the Observer and the Torch barely would have got out in time. I can only assume that was a, a hotline jobby. Uh, would have been a, a report on one of the hotlines that a couple of the ECW fans must have called. Uh, but hell of a shout that. So that's volume two. This is volume three. Three, three shows, only three shows. Three shows this month. Uh, and then after that, I've been Bob Bambert. This has been volume number three of the October 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>